0: Do you feel sorry for Theresa May? Sometimes I do. I mean, is she being held? Why do you feel sorry for her? Sometimes I do. How do you feel sorry for her? Well, I just look at her and just think she looks dreadful. Um, what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business? Uh, The the stuff about me paddling nonsense. The sea was actually closed. It was a, a red notice. We will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK taxpayer. It's not in opposition that I want to be and it's Nicola's desk I want. I want to serve this country <laughs> so as first like minister it. and its labour values and fructose <laughs> I have the you just not getting seriously. the job. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World, who's been to, hands who's been to Peppa Pig World. In December, I'll be in Beijing, opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously, basties! what the actual fuck? Hey besties. It's me, Jennifer Wan, and this is what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business. Recess is still going on. It's still the summertime, despite the weather, although it has got a bit better this week, which has been nice. Um, but we are jumping right back into things that have been going on because it's still a little bit chaotic, even though it's the holidays. Mainly because a bunch of MPs are up in Edinburgh saying wild shit at the Fringe, so... So that certainly helped uh, to give us some some much-needed drama in this summer drought. Oh, girl, not this. Oh, every week, man, every week. But anyway, we're about to get into it. Maybe I'll get an ice cream. You'll, you'll just have to keep listening to find out. I probably will not get an ice cream. I probably will not get an ice cream, but I, but I might do. You never know. And that's the mystery that keeps you sustained and in suspense. I'm sure of it. But grab a drink, grab a snack, maybe even an ice cream. Get comfy and cosy and let's go. Let's start off with something a little positive, a little happy. Let's talk about bees. Everybody loves bees. Well, except for people who are allergic to bees, um... We will never forget you, Thomas J. Um, but you know bees, they're pretty chill, they're just doing their best, trying to help pollinate things and make honey and be cute little guys. And guess what? There are now. I love this. I'm obsessed with this, actually. A million. Bees, A population of over a million honeybees at the Scottish Parliament. I'm obsessed with this. I am obsessed with this. I fucking love that from them. So this week it was revealed to the national newspaper that Holyrood's beekeeper can report that there are over 1 million beautiful bees at the Scottish Parliament. I love it! That's so adorable. <laughs> it's so adorable. <laughs> and, and and now on to something horrible, because it can't just be bees, I'm afraid. <laughs> I wish it could. I wish it could. I wish I could just come on this show every week and just talk to you about bees but, you know alas sad times Um, where do I begin? my god so I, I guess we begin with Lee Anderson who who we hate and we desperately wish we could replace him with a million Bs. Or even just one B. One B would do. I, I, I'll take that. So Lee Anderson. Oh, he is the deputy chair of the Conservatives. He's a Conservative MP. He's a complete twat. Um, so Oh, my God. So, in response to charities and NGOs discussing safety concerns about the barge Bibi Stockholm, which was intended to house refugees, Lee Anderson, uh, when speaking to The Express, said, if they don't like barges, then they should fuck off back to France. Very cool, very normal. Very cool, very normal. And rather than <laughs> rather than trying to be decent and saying, okay, no, that's not acceptable to say, Downing Street backed him. I, <sighs> fucking hell. What is wrong with these people? What is actually wrong with them? I, I don't know that we will ever discover the answer. I really don't. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about the whole barge situation this week. Um, it was also reported that the government was threatening... ...refugees and asylum seekers and saying that their claims would be withdrawn if they did not get on the barges when they were allocated a space there. And this... This was... um, This was while there were still a lot of safety concerns about these barges, including fire safety regulations um, and conditions. So uh cabinet minister alex chalk was talking to lbc and he said lee anderson expresses the righteous indignation of the british people there is a lot of sense in what lee says i don't i don't think so i don't think so i don't um One of the things I've seen a lot of right-wing people trying to push is the idea of stuff like, oh well, you know, if these barges would be okay for, you know, our, our soldiers or for homeless people, it should be okay for asylum seekers. And I'm like, okay, but here's a concept. Perhaps it's not okay for any of the people you just mentioned at all. What if we just raise the standards and treat people like people? Treat Human beings like human beings and not put them in cramped and unsafe conditions. How about that as a concept? And I would say, actually, I think <laughs> I think that a lot of the public are probably thinking something along those lines. Because, well, this idea that the Tories know exactly what we're all thinking is a bit ludicrous. Because... And it's it's something that they've tried to push for a while, actually, that they have this insight into what, what voters want and what the public thinks. Which is weird, because they constantly have to U-turn on their policies and they keep doing things that are deeply unpopular. So I, I don't know why they think they know what we all think, because they obviously do not. Um, it was also reported in the Eye that an asylum seeker who had tuberculosis was told that they were being moved to the barge anyway regardless of the fact that they had tuberculosis which which is is a very infectious illness you know just in case anyone from the government is listening and would like to learn something um so obviously the the asylum seeker knows okay it's not safe for me to be on there Because it could be a huge disaster. It could be spread all over the place. But the government does not. They also fail to recognise that somebody who has tuberculosis probably needs specialist medical attention. That they are not going to get on this barge. It's not safe for the person who has tuberculosis and it's not safe for everybody else. I... I mean, this is the thing as well. During COVID, the conditions that people were kept in led to COVID spreading through the places where people were being kept all the time. There were so many reports about people in asylum centres. They could not avoid COVID because they couldn't socially distance properly. There was no support... No, no help, nothing. And so a lot of people ended up getting COVID and becoming very, very ill. And now the government's just like, fuck it, let's do the same with tuberculosis. I... Hello? Hello? What? What the fuck? What the actual fuck? But, of course, given that this this is the British government, this is the Tories, it gets worse. Of course, it gets worse because it was discovered after people had been moved onto the barge that legionella bacteria was found in the water i i, I mean what the fuck what the fuck so, so what is this? What is this bacteria? Um, so, if it gets into your system, you can contract Legionnaire's disease, which is a type of severe pneumonia. It can lead to lung failure and to death. It tends to require hospitalisation. ...for treatment... ...and according to... ...the US Centre for Disease Control and Prevention... ...one out of ten people who get that illness... ...will die. Oh my god. Oh my god. So the government had been insisting again and again that it was completely safe, nothing to worry about. Oh, except for the really dangerous bacteria that was literally in the water. What the fuck? So the government assures everybody it's completely safe. It is completely safe for people to be on, to live in. No. Obviously not. So the the people who are on there have to be moved back off and found other accommodation. Because the water is literally like fucking diseased or something. I... Jesus Christ. I... And here's the thing. You would think that checking the water systems and assessing the water systems would be part of the inspection that you do before you allow people onto the facility, right? Then how does this happen? How? Like... I I mean... It's the Tories, isn't it? It's literally just them. Cutting corners. Fucking shit up. We're going to actually talk a bit about, you know, the Tories cutting services. Fucking shit up. Cutting corners. We're going to talk about that in a bit more depth in a little while in the show. Um, But... (sighs) I think I think it's important not to not to become apathetic about this and to say oh well you know it's just the tories it's just the tories because people could have died there was something in that water that that can kill people and they not only did they put people on that barge but they coerced them because people were told If you do not get on there, your claim for asylum will be withdrawn. So people who are trying to escape from war, from persecution, are then told... If you do not get onto this dangerous barge full of dirty water, cramped conditions and no fire safety certificate, I assume we are going to withdraw your claim for asylum and that will be that like it is next level cruelty it's coercion so none of these people really went there willingly when you think about it they they were coerced um and and even after doing that, even after sending vulnerable people to dangerous situations, to a dangerous place, the government is, is still determined to, to demonise um, refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and I want to briefly circle back to what Lee Anderson said. So just to remind you, um, he said in regards to um, complaints made by charities about the conditions that people would be housed in. He said, if they don't like barges, then they should fuck off back to France. it is firstly it's playing into the you know the whole right wing talking point that you know these people aren't really vulnerable and you know if they were that desperate they'd take a fucking cardboard box on the floor outside of a fucking Aldi or whatever which i don't i don't think so actually i i think That is said to try and reinforce an idea in all of our minds that these vulnerable people should not be treated with kindness and compassion because kindness and compassion costs money to implement. So it's trying to get us used to the idea that simply allowing people to apply for asylum is enough and that we should do no more kind things for people. Um, you know, and in a sense, dehumanizing these people, you know, and trying to paint them as these demanding, grabby, horrible people that we should be afraid of. And uh, I wanted. Then I want to talk about something and this i don't I don't know if this is is a <laughs> a controversial opinion, but um this is how I feel. um so Diane Abbott tweeted something this week that had some people a little bit mad, um and I wanted to kind of talk about it a little a little bit so um there was a a story in the news about forty one people who who lost their lives in a shipwreck off the coast of Italy while trying to get across the water um, on on a small boat and this This coincided with what the government was calling Small Boats Week, uh, which was their attempt to... uh, Fuck, I don't know. um, Show that they're very tough on refugees and the causes of refugees or something. I don't know, whatever messaging it is they're doing these days. And Diane Abbott, she tweeted a link to the story. And she said these migrants have indeed fucked off to the bottom of the sea. Now there are a lot of people and they're very angry with her about this. And I I understand Twitter is sometimes a hard platform to, to understand tone and context and things like that. But I think what she's trying to say is that the dehumanization, it's working. The dehumanization that people like Lee Anderson contribute to by trying to paint vulnerable refugees as demanding and entitled and all of that, it allows the government to continue justifying the refusal to bring in safe, legal routes. That would allow people to make an application without risking their lives. Without going out onto the sea. These people may not have died if there were safe and legal routes to asylum in the UK. And I'm pretty sure that the, <laughs> that that is the point that Diane <laughs> Abbott is trying to make. Um... But unfortunately for her, people are going to go out of their way to misconstrue what she's saying, which is something that happens a lot with Diane Abbott. There are a lot of people who will cherry pick and manipulate and try and front like she's saying something that she isn't because they don't like her. And I wonder why that is. Um, But she's right in what she says here. The dehumanization of refugees and asylum seekers is to blame. It's part of why these people lost their lives. Because it is constantly used to justify not allowing safe and legal routes. And now 41 people lost their lives in that shipwreck. And... And government figures will put up a little sort of two-sentence tweet. Oh, my thoughts are with the emergency services and the Coast Guard and all of this. Um, what a tragedy. Something, something stopped the small boats. But they won't think about the people that were on those boats. They won't think about what happened to them. The reality of what Of what their last moments were. The reality of why they got on those boats in the first place. They won't think about that. And they don't have to, as long as they keep coming out with lines such as... If they don't like barges, then they should fuck off back to France. Because then they can pretend that the people that died... They, they're just entitled... They just want something for nothing and they can paint them with this negative narrative. And they never have to think about their part in all of this. They never have to think about what could be different if they just looked at other humans with a bit of humanity. And I don't think that they ever will. I really don't. Speaking of people who lack humanity, <laughs> it's Nadine. <laughs> okay, listen. I know I joke about Nadine Torres a lot, um uh, but this isn't fucking funny. This is not funny. Um and actually when I saw this it made me feel a bit sick. Um I thought it was disgusting. Um so I will talk about this. However, I should let you know. Um, and we're gonna have a little, a little moment here, in case you need to skip past. Um. And actually, I'm, I'm gonna do this at a separate segment because then when I edit the show, it's gonna be easier so I can give you the time so properly. So we'll be back in a moment. Um, we will be talking about um we will be talking about sexual assault and sexual harassment. So, if that is difficult for you, if that's something that you're going to struggle with, don't worry about it. I will put the timestamps in the description so you can skip past if you need to. Okay. We'll be right back. Okay, so... Chris Bryant, who's a Labour MP, has released a book, a new book. He's released some books before. Uh, but his new book is called Code of Conduct, Why We Need to Fix Parliament and How to Do It. I haven't read it yet. Um, I might do, though, because it, it actually is, you know, around a round topic that interests me. So I, I might read it. I don't... <laughs> I don't tend to read a lot of political books, actually, because I find that, I mean, firstly, quite a few of them, they're either, am I about to expose some things? <laughs> quite a few of them are either, you know, ghostwritten or poorly written. It's it's kind of rare, actually, that you read something that's actually quite good. Um <laughs> Like I'm just saying, um, and I just, just I just don't, I, just, I just can't be asked, really. You know, I don't often see a political book that I think, oh, this is absolutely worth my time and my money because like books cost money, um, so. <laughs> That doesn't happen very often. But what I will say is actually this book by Chris Bryant does actually look quite interesting. um, Because, you know, Reform at Westminster is something I am actually quite interested in. So we'll see. Maybe I'll read it. However, it has been... It has been reviewed a lot. There's been a big... um publicity push for the book because that's what happens when books come out um and so there's been a lot of reviews um and talk about the book one of the things that has been discussed in the book is the revelation that chris bryant has been assaulted by five members of parliament So he talks in the book about being assaulted by his his own colleagues, being sexually assaulted by his own colleagues, which is horrific. You know, I mean, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, sexual harassment in politics, sexual abuse in politics. We've talked about this on, you know, on the show quite a lot. Um, For the most part, when we've talked about it, the the victims that we've discussed have been, you know, staffers or, you know, things like that. With this revelation, it becomes clear that, that even the people that you would assume have some kind of protection based on their own power as members of parliament, that's not always the case. And it's it's absolutely heartbreaking that this has happened to him so many times. It's so sad to think that he has had to go through this and he's carried that with him um and you know as i said i have- I haven't read the book um in full yet or even really part way there um but what I know of of what's in the book in regards to this, nothing nothing was done. Nothing was done. And you know, things like that are probably why he has written this book. You know, he is somebody who has been through horrible situations because of the environment that is so commonplace. In the place that he works. And so he wants to try and make things better. However. There's one person who decided to be awful about this. And that was Nadine Doris. Oh, Nadine. I guess she was really pissed that, you know, she saw someone competently writing a book and was like, whoa, what the fuck? I could never I, I don't know. <laughs> but she uh she tweeted ah Chris Bryant has a book out. Well I never. The latest bout of publicity seeking was so unlike him. All is now clear. And then she links um an article in the Times which talks about his his reveal of being assaulted by 5MPs. So she is She's basically saying that he is talking about this and opening up about this for publicity and to sell copies of his book. And that's disgusting. It's victim-blaming. It is so mean-spirited. It is... As well, you know, this is... This is part of why victims rarely come forward, you know. I mean, number one, you know, because there there were some people, you know, giving it the whole, the usual spiel of like, oh, why why don't you go to the police instead of writing it in a book or saying it on social media, which... (sighs) Anybody who says that has obviously never had to deal with the police for anything. Right? Like if if someone fucking breaks into your house, they're not going to do nothing. If you get attacked, they're probably not going to do nothing. If if you if you are somebody that is sexually assaulted, the police are not going to do anything. Like if you are somebody that goes to the police and reports An an abuser, a harasser, they are probably not going to do anything. Just being real. I know so many people with that same experience. I have had that same experience. So, uh, (laughs) you know, it, it really reduces your faith in the system. Let's just say that. On top of that, if you have been through something... And, and you know, being assaulted in this way, it's such a hard thing to work through, to process. If this is how he feels he can talk about it, it's his right. Because it's his experience. And if this is how he wants to talk about it, you know, while he's writing a book where he aims to help other people Who have been in similar situations. To try and push for the reform. That his workplace desperately needs. And that is not my business. It's not Nadine Doris's business. It's not anybody's business. To tell him that he should not have the right to do that. Like it's it's just not. If that is how he feels. Safe and comfortable to talk about his experience. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. On top of that. While I'm, while I'm coming up with all my, all my reasons why this is so wrong of Nadine Doris to, to have jumped in and said. One of the things that, um, that gets talked about a lot, but a solution never seems to be found for, is how, how difficult it can be. For men and for boys to come forward and talk about abuse and harassment and being assaulted and things like that. Because of the fact that there is... Extra stigma on them. Because there is this idea of you're a man, you're bigger. You know, you should be able to, you know fight it off you should be able to figure it out you know you should be able to fight back um that's not to say that women are not also victim blamed because we absolutely are but because we tend to be you know smaller than than the people who are attacking us it's more you should have screamed rather than you should have fought back you know that that tends to be what's said to men um And all of this contributes to victims as a whole not coming forward. Not feeling safe to talk about it. Not feeling safe to report it. I I don't want to diminish what has happened to Chris Bryant at all. And that is absolutely not my intention here. But what Nadine Doris is saying here not only is disrespectful to him and has a negative and horrible effect on him, but also there are going to be men out there who've also been in the same situation as him. They've been harassed. They've been touched without their consent. They've been assaulted. And they are gonna see what she's saying and they are gonna feel even less safe to come forward and talk about it. And they will be suffering in silence because of people like Nadine Doris. Because of the attitude that she perpetuates. Because of the environment that she and others like her create in our society. There are going to be so many more people. Who who maybe, maybe they saw in the news. Maybe they saw Chris Bryant talk about it. And they thought, I'm not on my own. It's not just me. I'm not by myself. And now... Nadine Doris comes along to shut the door and say, nope, nope, that little bit of hope that you just had, I am snatching that away. And it's cruel. It's disgusting. It's a horrible thing to do to Chris Bryant alone. But also, it has an effect on everybody else that would have seen him talking about it and felt that maybe they could too. Maybe they weren't alone. Maybe it wasn't just them. Maybe it wasn't their fault. Maybe maybe they can stop blaming themselves. Maybe they can stop feeling bad about what happened to them. Maybe they can try and talk about it. Maybe they can talk to a friend or to a family member or someone they trust. Or maybe they can go to the doctor and, and see if they can... Get on a list for some therapy. I unfortunately there will be lists because the Tories have decimated the NHS. Um, maybe they feel like they can they can just reach out anonymously to someone and just say, "Hey, I'm struggling." And then, and then they see. Nadine Doris. And. Others like her. Casting doubt on it perpetuating the stigma and they are right back where they started and it's dangerous and it's horrible i'm sick of it i'm so so fucking sick of it it's disgusting it's absolutely disgusting but he clapped back (laughs) so I mean, obviously, that does not fix the problem entirely, but I kind of lived for it anyway. So he, quote, tweeted her and said, <laughs> he kind of snapped on this one. He kind of ate. He said, yes, Nadine Doris, I have a book out next week. It's about politics and MPs doing their jobs. Oh, bitch. It's. <laughs> oh, god. Oh, God. Listen, from one gay to another, I have to applaud that. It's called Code of Conduct, Why We Need to Fix Parliament and How to Do It. It's not fiction. When are you either turning up or resigning with a media effect? Oh, bitch. Oh, he got her together. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, listen, maybe Miss Nadine, maybe she could read the whole book. Because, like, it's not like she's busy doing her job or anything. Maybe she could read the whole book. Maybe she'll learn something. Uh, (laughs) I was living. I was living. Um, But, yeah, maybe I will read the book. Maybe I will. (laughs) I know that I just... I jokingly said about reading Nadine's book when it comes out. And we'll do an episode about it. But I might actually seriously read the Chris Bryant book. I don't know. Oh my god, what if if that became like a mini-series we did? Where like I, I just read books or something. Oh my god. I'll think about it. We might do it. Okay, so let's talk about the court system in the UK, um, and and all the lovely things that uh, it involves. So, one of the things that has been a huge issue over the last few years here in the UK is that there are huge backlogs in the court system. Um, and really, actually, that there are huge backlogs in, in almost any aspect of public service. And basically, things don't work. Um, so I'm going to talk about a couple of things here. Um, but the reason that I I had this thought and I wanted to talk about this is two things. Number one, I'm kind of going through something myself right now. Um, I've committed no crime, by the way. It's it not like that. Um, I'm not in my criminal era. Um, although, <laughs> honestly, sometimes this government makes me wish I was. Um, but also, I, I read a story on on Twitter. Um, it was shared by Tristan Kirk, who is a courts correspondent for the Evening Standard. And he tweets about um, about various things going on within the courts, within the justice system. Um, so he tweeted a story about uh, an elderly lady who was prosecuted for not paying a DVLA fixed penalty notice in regards to car insurance. Um, however, to add some context, this lady ...has schizophrenia, dementia and Alzheimer's. She is in care at the moment... ...because she broke her ankle recently... Um, ...and she's been hospitalised. Um, her children have been trying to, to help and support her... ...and sort things out. That they, they are effectively, you know, caring for their mother... Um, They wrote to the judge, to the court, and they said that they were at breaking point because they're trying to get everything sorted. And the decision was still made to go ahead with, you know, with this trial, you know, to chase after a fixed penalty notice for somebody who, who is, you know, living with dementia, Alzheimer's um may not have a, an awareness of what is happening and and why they're being punished um and all this for for a little a little fine you know um it it's it's crazy it's wild that the courts are using resources on this that the Justice Department is seemingly instructing them to do this. Like, to me, it seems like a moment where you can use a bit of common sense and a bit of empathy and just say, okay, this is a lady who... ..who is really going through a lot and, frankly... We don't need to haul her into court. We don't need to do this. Okay, yes, technically... You know, the law has been broken, but we can have some fucking compassion. Um... Apparently that's not going on. Um... There he talks about another story uh where um a, an older man was convicted and fined for not meeting insurance requirements on his car the man did say um the vehicle is a special converted vehicle for disability I can honestly admit I have never received any notification of expiry and had it not been for the rare occasion I was on the computer with my grandson I would not have known about it so the transition to to digital um in almost every aspect actually um and I was talking about this with someone as well the other day um It very much affects older people um, who may not have access to online spaces, who may struggle with engaging with online spaces because, because they don't know. You know, I mean, look my my granddad is um he's learning he's growing he's he's getting right into tech he he texts me every time um he he does something technical and it's great and I love it um he, he texts me uh yesterday to tell me about a new keyboard he's got for his computer because the keyboard he had some of the keys in it were broken and I said well you could fix it or or you know that the more simple way is probably to buy a new one. And he said, okay. And he was like, I've got my new keyboard. It's amazing. I don't have to... I can type whatever I want and it comes out exactly as I want it to. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Oh, my God. And you got it all set up yourself. I'm so proud of you. Um, he's getting a new phone. He texted me about that. He was like, what does this mean? What, what, what is RAM? And I was like, right, we're going to go through this and we're going to talk about this. However... It should not be the case that essential services that he will need to live his life and to abide by the law in the UK are effectively put you know, behind a, a wall and made almost entirely digital. Because, yeah, he's, he's learning, he's adapting, and he's got me if he needs to reach out to someone. But what if he didn't have me? What if I wasn't there to help him? You know, th- this man uh, in the story that Tristan shared, um, he was not aware that there was an issue with the insurance for his car until his grandson helped him on the computer. If his grandson had not been there, this man may never have known. Because no one sent him a letter no one called him it was all on the computer and you cannot expect that everybody is able to engage with online services um i know that you know it may be you know quicker more convenient cheaper even um, But that, that doesn't mean that everybody is going to be able to do that and you have to be mindful of that. But the problem that we have is that it seems absolutely zero government services and government departments um, are actually interested in doing that. I... <laughs> So so what we have, and Tristan shared some more stories, basically all of them are, you know, older people who are being prosecuted. Really, from, from what I can see, just to boost the figures and make it look like um, the courts and tribunal service are doing more work than they actually are and to make it look like the justice department is really smashing it and i don't think that it's justice to you know to find uh, a bunch of of elderly people who did not knowingly or willingly commit crimes and in often cases cannot pay those fines like it's it's just intimidating and scaring older people who you know who who absolutely had no intention of breaking the law like in all of these cases it does not seem that any of these people willingly broke the law um there's another story he shared he said um pensioner 84 prosecuted for not paying £93.34 road tax. He became the registered keeper in March 2023. Thought it was fine sitting off road and insured it in May. He apologised for the offer mistake. The magistrate fined him £1,876. I, where is the compassion? Where is it? I, I don't know. I don't know. um, But... What I want to talk about as well is while, uh, while this is going on, and while the while the courts are you know intimidating and and fining huge amounts of money to um to the elder members of our community, uh, basically for no reason, um. Nothing in, in terms of interacting with the government seems to work properly. Um, so when I was younger, um, they, they have retired now. Um, but when I was younger, my grandparents had a small business where they would help people to navigate the benefits system so that they could actually get what they were entitled to. Um it was it was mainly on a voluntary basis to be honest. They didn't make huge amounts of money, but they did you know, they, they wouldn't say this because they're modest and they're nice, but I'll say it, they changed a lot of people's lives for the better. Um and they helped a lot of people at a time when there was not much help available. Um so, you know, the benefit system, despite being set up to help people, is so convoluted and so ridiculous. Even now that the UK government keeps whinging about how they've simplified it, it's so convoluted that it basically excludes many people that need the help so there are a ton of people out there who are not getting the support that they are entitled to because the system is so convoluted and ridiculous and you know hard to navigate um and so my, my grandparents they had a business um helping people with you know application forms helping people with the appeals process when they had been denied benefits that they were actually entitled to Um, helping with tribunals and stuff like that. Um, there are now, thankfully, there are more organisations who are, who are doing that, which is amazing to see. Um, but there are still a number of people who do struggle, um, when interacting with the benefits service because it is not set up in a way that it is simple and easy. And many people who interact with the benefit service are at a very vulnerable place. It's a difficult time for them, you know um, and there is no compassion for that at all um If you talk about you know specific aspects of it, for example, people who are um who find themselves unemployed and are trying to find work um there are so many. So many people who can tell you about horrific experiences they've had at the job centre, demoralising experiences, um, you know. And it's crazy because you'll be told, oh, this person, yeah, they're going to help you find a job. No, they won't. They'll just make you feel like shit. Like, literally, there are so many people that I know who have gone to the job centre and it just makes them feel demoralized like it literally is like pauline from league of gentlemen like she has come to life and she has been spread all over job centers across across the uk but perhaps it's the case that she never left and that's who she you know she was always there she was always haunting the place but it's crazy that the the tactics and the the way that these places work has become even more cruel, you know. Because if you look back, at, you know, I I love League of Gentlemen. By the way, it's my comfort show, uh, <laughs> and Pauline's one of my favourite characters. Um, but if you look back at those um, at those sketches, you know, it it, it like the the cruelty is. It's it's pretty on point, actually. Like, it's very much how it happened. And if you talk to people who were using job centres during that time period, they'll tell you, yeah, Pauline was pretty accurate, actually. Um, but I think if Pauline were real and walked into a job centre now, she'd be horrified. She'd be like, what the fuck? Like, I wouldn't even be this cruel. I wouldn't even do this you know, people are pressured to apply for impossible jobs. People are pressured to apply for exploitative jobs as well. That's that's the thing. There are so many um, exploitative, you know, employers that will take advantage of the fact that people who are claiming universal credit and looking for work are basically coerced into applying for literally everything. So there absolutely are scams that are going on, Um, you know, kind of multi-level marketing scams, that whole, you know, knocking on people's doors and selling charity donations, but you actually make no money really. Um, You know, standing on the streets, trying to sign people up for direct debits, but you don't really make any money, that kind of stuff, you know. It's a scam. And... These people are not going to actually make money. But if it gets them off the unemployment figures, then, you know, your work coach will probably bully you into doing it or sending you on useless courses that don't actually help you. And you, you have to wonder, what is the point of all this? What is the point of all this? Because barely anything that happens in the job centre is actually about getting people into work that is stable, good, safe work that they can build a career on or they can they can even just do the basics and feed their families on you know that's not what the job centers appear to be about the job centers appear to be about just getting people off the unemployment stats and that's it um by any means necessary whether that is sending people on a useless fucking course uh, that doesn't actually teach them anything and isn't even a registered and recognized qualification um sending people on work experience placements which is basically just free labor for businesses that are shady enough to get involved in it um you know sending people on fucking work trials that last for weeks and weeks which is bullshit you know it, it's just it, there doesn't actually seem to be a lot of focus on getting people into stable work, which is funny because the government likes to go on about um, how, you know, work pays, work is the best route out of poverty. And yet their, their entire department that is dedicated to getting people into, into work, stable work, just does not actually do that at all on any level. Um, which is just another example of a government department we 've got that does not fucking work um, We all know how the, how the u k government has decimated the NHS um, I, <laughs> um, and, and I mean obviously the NHs is is devolved um in other countries in the u k, which has given some relief to nhs workers and users of the nhs in other parts of the uk outside of england um they they do tend to have a slightly better experience however because of the constant cuts the 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 strangling of of budgets and how they are assigned to the devolved administrations that has a knock on effect as well um and so The bad decisions made at Westminster have an effect further out, um, you know, into the devolved administration. So um, not only do the Tories want our NHS in England to suffer, but they also want to try and fuck with everybody else (laughs) as well if they can. Um, Thankfully, though... Although they shouldn't have to, but thankfully, um, you know, a lot of the devolved governments have stepped up in terms of mitigation. But that stops them from advancing as countries, you know. If they are constantly having to mitigate insane Tory cuts and insane Tory taxes, my Alexa's going off, and I don't know why. Um, She's actually not my Alexa, she's my housemate's Alexa. But, um... She gives me a lot of attitude. You are all right, love? Yeah, I think she's fine. Um, yeah, so... What was I saying? Oh, God. I wish I, I wish I was one of those people that, like, had laser focus and could just... The NHS, yes. Um, so, you know, de- devolved administrations have to spend more money on mitigating Tory madness... Um, which, of course, they wouldn't have to do, you know, if they were, you know, not part of the UK, but currently they are. And so the only choice they have is spend more money cleaning up the Tory mess and unfortunately not having the money to be able to to do the things that they want to do and to prioritise the things um, that that their country perhaps would like prioritised um you know other other aspects which you know in which things just don't work right now um so as i said i've you know i've got a little experience of my own going on so as you may remember from previous episodes uh gone by around march uh A relative of mine died and I'm in charge of everything for that. So that's been super fun. Um, One thing, I've talked a little bit about this, um, but hey, let's, let's talk about it in depth. One thing that I've noticed, and I wasn't aware of this before, perhaps I wasn't aware of this before. In fairness to me, I'd never been in charge when someone died before. um. But one of the things that has become so obvious is that it is so fucking hard to deal with all of the bureaucracy and fucking admin shit when somebody dies. Okay, so... And and I believe personally that Tory cuts are somewhat responsible for this. Okay. And I know maybe some people are gonna be like, that's a bit of a conspiracy, girl. But hear me out, okay. So um so <sighs> it's been a real hard experience because at almost every turn Something has gone wrong. Which you know it's 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 not easy when someone dies anyway, but when you have all of this extra stuff on top of you, it's really difficult. Um so when when my relative died, the police came round to tell me because I was listed as the next of kin, which was a great surprise to me, but is what um it is what it is, I guess, so they come round um and they said to me that they would contact me to tell me where the body was, so that I could you know follow up on the post mortem because that was required uh because um, because he had died at home by himself. And so it was kind of like an unexplained death. It was like... They they, they were basically like, we don't think it was murder or anything, but it's kind of weird, so we do have to look into it. And I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, then. um, You know, do what you have to do. And they were like, okay, but we will give you the details. We'll email you tomorrow to tell you, you know, which hospital... um. You know, so that you can make arrangements for you know the funeral once that's you know going on, you can make arrangements um to to view the body if you'd like to you can um find out more about the post mortem all of this kind of stuff that you need the information about where the body is for. They took my details they then did not contact me. I had to go and and basically ring round and be like hello do you have uh this person's body (laughs) which in a way I was fucking pissed I was like you've just come to my house and 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 dropped all this death drama at my door and then you you tell me you're gonna you're gonna get back to me and tell me where this body is and then you just don't oh oh that's that's fucking rude bitch that's fucking horrendous awful but at the same time i mean i'll admit i did not feel like this at the time but i feel like this now that i've had time to reflect there simply are not enough of them to do their jobs properly there were probably there was probably someone who had it in the back of their mind. Got to get back to that girl and let her know where that body is. Got to do that. Got to pick up the phone and call. Got to send an email. Got to do that. And it slipped their mind because they're doing two or three different jobs at the same time. You know. Um, so eventually I find out... <laughs> I find out uh where this body is i am then told um that it is going to take over a month to do a post-mortem and i'm like oh (laughs) oh right okay um so what that will mean is that it's going to take over a month so that i can get an interim death certificate so i can register the death Um, I cannot start funeral arrangements until that is over. And when I can start funeral arrangements... The body is not going to be, um, suitable for anybody to see. Embalming is no longer going to be possible, really. Um and and that was difficult because um my 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 um my family um cuz it's my dad's side of the family was very much hoping for you know to to be able to see him and i'm having to explain i'm sorry but you can't because by the time we get the body it's not going to be suitable for that and that that's really difficult however guess which guess which other profession has been impacted by cuts coroners they have less capacity to do post-mortems as quickly. And so that does mean that you end up with a situation where you're waiting over a month for a post-mortem to be done. Um, which means that there are some families who are not even able to begin the process of planning a funeral. Um, or having the body released to them for over a month. I wonder who made those cuts that have caused this situation. I wonder who that was. Oh, my God. When I find out... I'm kidding. I already know. Um. So I, I get back a, a body that I... That I effectively have to just keep locked up in a sealed casket. And everyone's upset with me for that. Even though there's literally nothing I can do. Um, When it comes to registering the death, that was a pain in the ass Because legally, you've got five days after death to do that. There is an exception made for a case where you have a post-mortem. However, the local authority... And see, this is how it links up to what I was talking about earlier. The local authority only allows you to book an appointment to register a death online um and so i'm like okay all right so i I go to the online system that only allows you to book an appointment five days after the date of death you have to input the date of death and it will not allow you to book an appointment after that if you try and and there's, there's no arguing with an online system. You can't say, listen, I understand that legally I'm supposed to do it five days after, but the coroner is saying I can't because they're still doing a post-mortem and that's not going to happen until like a month later, all right? So I need an appointment for a month later. A computer is literally just going to look back at you and be like, it has to be five days after the date of death what am I meant to do about that? What am I meant to do with that? You know? So then I have to call up the local authority and I have to say, listen, your computer system will not allow me to do this. Um, Please, will you help me? And I swear to you, (laughs) I swear to you, I swear to you, this person was like, "Uh, yeah, so you've got to use the online system. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I just told you I can't because I, you know, there's a post mortem. What am I supposed to do? And, and he was like, well, just, you know, just, just wait until, you know, the postmortem happens. And then go on and use the system. So I'm like, right, okay. And you're sure that's going to be all right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not true. So... We get the interim death certificate from the post mortem. We go online to try and book the appointment to register the death and get the full bus, full death certificate, not birth certificate. My God, um, <laughs> um so we, we go through, we do that, we log on, and it says, well, no, it's been too long after the death. You can't have an appointment. Mm-mm, this is a bit illegal, and I'm like, but the the guy the phone said that i'm trying my fucking best okay someone has died i haven't really thought about it and processed it because i've got too much fucking paperwork to do and nothing works i can't fucking register the death i can't get a post-mortem unless i wait like a fucking month for it and i also don't have a choice on that it's not like i could just say look i don't want you to do this um, you know, I'm the next of kin and I'm telling you I don't want this. I, I can't say that. They have to do the post-mortem. It's a legal requirement. I don't have a choice in the matter. Um, even if it means, you know, the whole process is slowed down. You can't have a funeral for ages. You can't register the death. And when you get the body back, it's going to be horrible. And... And so you won't, you won't have that closure, you know, and if you have some kind of, (laughs) um, you know, tradition or or cultural reason for having some kind of open casket situation, we'll kiss goodbye to that because that's not happening, Um, (laughs) you know, and, and that's, It's difficult to deal with. And the person on the other end of the phone or on the other end of the web chat on the fucking computer, frankly, they are so overworked that they don't have the time to be compassionate because they're doing four people's jobs at once, five people's jobs at once, and they're knackered. And so are you because you you just... It's just so fucking shit. (laughs) It's just so fucking shit. And then on top of that on top of that, because I'm, because I've been fucking tasked with doing everything, oh my god, um, so the funeral, we could not have uh, a funeral for months after, because there was a huge backlog there too, um, and then they, they said to us, oh, you know, um, You can't really choose the date, you just have to take what we've got available, really, because we've got so many funerals that we're doing. And I'm like, right, okay, great. So I end up with a date months after his death. He dies in March, we don't end up having a funeral until the end of May. Everyone's fucking pissed at me over that, by the way. You know, I've got fucking family members, his fucking friends and shit on my case 24-7. When's the funeral? Why haven't we got all this sorted yet? All of this. And I'm like, because the fucking government is shit, all right? I know it sounds (laughs) crazy, but there's so much fucking... It it just doesn't work. I can't fucking get the death registered. I can't fucking... Get his body. What what the fuck do you want me to do? You know, and then I finally get over that hurt at all. I've I've got the body, I've got a death certificate. Fabulous. Let's get a funeral going. Can't fucking have that for ages because COVID backlogs apparently. And I I get that the funeral industry or whatever you would call it can't really help that um but if you are as sleep deprived and ridiculous as as me um you can actually uh trace that back to the government because you know perhaps there wouldn't be huge covid backlogs if the government hadn't been so irresponsible and allowed so many people to die during the covid pandemic um just putting that out there um and then the the (laughs) the worst part the worst part i am currently having to deal with the probate registry um so you know you make that application you send the the will off to these people and say yeah please do this um I am waiting for a piece of paper that allows me to deal with a lot of life admin stuff that currently I can't. So, um, you know, sorting final, you know, final debts, um, final payments, all that kind of stuff. Um, Sorting out, you know, just general life stuff that you do after someone dies for that person who is dead I cannot do this until I have a piece of paper from the government that says I can do this I need a piece of paper from the government to say that I can do the things that my deceased relative has decided I should be the one to do I still don't really know why I was decided to be the one that should do it actually and I have to be honest sometimes I do feel pretty fucking aggrieved by that but what can you do it, ta- it takes them, according to their website, 16 weeks to issue this. 16 fucking weeks. And here's the thing this process used to take like two weeks. And now it takes 16 weeks. 16 motherfucking weeks to do and i <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know okay so the government actually has uh, some data on uh on the probate system and all of that and how long it takes and and all of that that you can compare so in june of 2022 um The timeline from submitting an application to it being granted to you was 8.4 weeks on average. Oh, my God. And now they're saying 16 weeks. Despite the fact... That the number of applications is approximately the same. So fuck knows how it it suddenly, mystically, magically takes, like, twice as long. Like, I don't... For what reason? For what fucking reason? I don't... <laughs> like shit is crazy um but you know i've i've spoken to people working within you know that that sector um you know solicitors um and things like that and they've said you know it used to be the case you know sort of two three years ago that you could get the document back in about two weeks three weeks um four if it was quite a complicated process and this would allow for people to move forward and to not have you know this whole situation hanging over them and they could get on with what they need to do you know whether that is sorting out you know the the debts of an estate whether that is um you know dealing with um things that you know that needed to be sold or or whatever the case was um you know closing down accounts and you know, just because that's the thing as well. (laughs) A lot of a lot of companies, a lot of organizations do not seem to really have a concept of death because they will just keep going on at you. You could be like, this person's dead, so I need to close this. And they're like, um I'm not gonna consider them dead until I have a death certificate and a grant of probate. Sorry, boo. (laughs) And it's like, right, but they are deads would you like a picture of their grave? For fuck's sake. But they don't care. They want that documentation. Um, and it takes the government fucking 16 weeks at the moment to get it to you. And that, that's the average. There are some people and it's taking them even longer. Um, you know. And it's like, I, I just want this fucking document. So that I can deal with the last things I need to. And I can actually try and process what has gone on. Because I haven't. I haven't. Because, you know, there are a ton of people um, that, that look to me to have the answers, to have things sorted. Because I'm I'm the fucking central one here i'm in charge which again i'm pretty fucking aggrieved by this i i feel (laughs) i feel angry that it was dropped on me because i have no idea and i'm not ready and i don't know what to fucking do but it is what it is um and it all depends on a bunch of services that basically do not work um Services that don't communicate with each other. Services that do not have the resources to be compassionate. And to realise that they are dealing with people... Who are grieving. And who are going through some pretty complicated fucking feelings right now. Um, And they, they don't... They don't have the ability to do that. Because there's just not enough people on the ground, you know. And... And so I know that once this is done, oh my God, <laughs> I am, I'm going to fucking crash emotionally, I think. I I have weird flashes of it every now and again. And then I pick myself up and I'm like, no, we don't have time for this because we've still got so much to do. And my life has been like this since the beginning of March, you know. It's horrible. I can't sleep. Like, I get, like, sort of slight bursts of sleep throughout the night. Just, you know, up and down, up and down. It's shit. Um, I feel... (sighs) So anxious all the time. And it does not need to be this hard. And it is this hard because the Tories have cut all of the services that I'm having to fucking interact with throughout this process to nothing. Um, You know the the probate registry is in the state it's in because they have cut services and they've tried to cut corners they're like oh well if we have this fucking online system and maybe we could look at ai and we can just fire a bunch of experienced staff and and you know bring in people with less experience and pay them less and it'll be fine i'm sure it'll be fine nothing will go wrong everything has gone wrong everything has gone wrong uh you look at um why you can't get a post-mortem for, like, over a month. Well, that that's obvious because, again, cuts. Um, why is it that when a, a police officer is sent out to deliver news of a death, they don't quite get round to something quite important, such as saying where the body is? Because cuts. They're overworked. They don't have the time. The The council worker who's supposed to be helping me to book an appointment to register a death which were the worst things that a person can do and it's hard and you have to do it right after and it's <laughs> well I'm sorry I can't because I don't have access to the body I don't have an interim death certificate I don't really know when I'm going to get that I don't know what's going on I've never had to do this before and and I don't know what to do but they don't know what to do either and they're exhausted and there is probably way less of them in the office or in the workspace than there should be and none of them are able to do this job to the best of their abilities because they're having to do five or six different people's jobs you know and what's the government's response <sighs> harassing older people with nonsense convictions that we can all agree don't actually really need to happen you know no nobody needs to see you know older people being you know arrested and convicted for things that really you know a bit of compassion would sort out but it ups the figures And it makes it look like the government's getting things right when they're not. Um, You know, the guy that broke into your house is not going to be investigated, found or convicted. But the old lady down the street who who maybe forgot to renew some tax because she she struggles with computers, she will be, Um, you know, you can't get a doctor's appointment. Everything's going to shit. But, you know, we're supposed to be okay with it because, oh, look, the government's doing some convictions, just not to the people anyone wants convicting. Uh, the government's technically getting some people off the unemployment figures, but they're certainly not getting them into jobs. And and it's it's hard because the UK government is not working for us. It's just not but i do wonder is it going to get better with a change of government you know that's the question we have to be asking um and i know that maybe that's um an unpopular thing to say but i i i do i do wonder about these things you know is it going to be easier for people you know in my position you know who are going through uh dealing with death and how how difficult the UK government makes it. And, you know, it's a political choice because it's not as if, you know, there's absolutely nobody out there that would want these extra jobs that would make it a bit easier. Like, come the fuck on. Of course they would. But the UK government is making it harder so they can save money. What is a potential Labour government going to do in regards to that, for example? Um, you know, what, what are their plans, you know, in terms of compassion over conviction when it comes to older generations, when it comes to, um, to people who, who may be struggling with how, how digitized things have become and having compassion for people who may struggle with that. Um, what are their what are their plans when it comes to, you know, the NHS, like genuinely um because sometimes it is hard to tell and these are things that that it is fair to ask um i know that some people will say well it's just important to just you know get get labor into power but if things are not going to get better then what's the point really um i do agree that it is important to get the the Tories out of government of course but that doesn't mean that we lower the standards for the labor party who who are likely to form the next government to be well, well in some form or another um they like to talk big about how they won't do a coalition but i i have my doubts um, I, do, I don't think they'll throw away the opportunity to form a government if if they need to do a coalition to get it done um i think maybe it's just big talk for now um but just just because they are not the Tories, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold them to account too. And I feel like these are questions that, that the Labour government would need to answer if they're in power and that the Labour Party right now needs to answer if they expect to be voted into government. What are you going to do differently? And how are you going to change things so that things work properly, so that people have... Um, some level of kindness and compassion from their government, because that is something that we desperately need in the UK right now. So Labour has their own share of trials and tribulations going on right now. One of which I haven't seen um, discussed too hotly, uh, but I do think it is something that ...that Labour should worry about... ...is that they are about to lose Mark Drakeford... ...so he is the First Minister of Wales... ...and the leader of Welsh Labour... ...and he has announced that he is going to be quitting the Senate ...at the next Welsh elections... ...I would say that should be concerning to them... ...Mark Drakeford... ...um... ...he had a huge boost of of popularity... ...and... Uh, ...notability during the Covid pandemic... ...um... And and also, <laughs> he's got great he's got great meme credentials. You may remember him from that video where he talks about his his love and passion for cheese. I feel you, Mark. I understand. Um, and also, um, very entertaining videos <laughs> of him getting very angry in the Senate with Tories. Again, I feel you, I understand you, I perceive you, I get it. It's iconic. Um so Mark Drakeford is somebody that arguably has brought the Labour Party a lot of goodwill and he will be he will be leaving them um at the next Welsh election. So that is something they perhaps should be a bit concerned about, but for some reason they don't seem that bothered. Um <laughs> what are they bothered about well uh, <laughs> uh one of the things that the uh labor party does seem bothered about right now is um trying to effectively sit on the fence and pretend as if they are pleasing as many people as possible uh when it comes to trans issues while simultaneously just pissing everyone off i think um so <laughs> the labor party has basically just gone back and forth back and forth um and now, uh, it's it's actually kind of hard to know where it is they they are on this, to be quite honest. Um, but Wes Streeting spoke to the Telegraph this week, and he he accused the SNP of apparently setting back LGBT rights, uh with the the gender reform legislation that they tried to bring forward before Christmas. Um, It should be noted that legislation um, went through a lot of consultation and things like that, and I don't think that the intention was for it to be harmful in any way. That legislation was then blocked by the UK government, um, and despite the fact that a lot of people, in fact the majority of, I think, Scottish Labour, was in support of that legislation everybody in UK Labour is now basically uh, trashing it and saying that it was bad and that Labour always opposed it, which once again makes very clear the fact that Scottish Labour has no autonomy bless their little hearts um, and so West Streeting has, has a lot to say about Setting back LGBT rights. Um, Okay, girl. Okay. Um, (laughs) I just... I, I find it very hard to take West Streeting seriously as a person. Because it really seems like he is the kind of person who will literally just say anything to get power... Or to get close to power. And why I say this is because there was a lot of uh, gender critical people in the replies. And they had something to say to Miss Wesley. So there are a number of people uh, pointing out that apparently, (laughs) not that long ago, Wes Streeting was contributing to projects, allegedly... Um, that collected the details and information of gender critical people and tried to have them as the kids say cancelled so where streeting went from you know trying to um you know tear down gender critical people. To now, trying to tear down trans people because he literally has no principles. He will jump from one side to the other. He will just keep jumping over and over the fucking skipping rope until you're stood there, you've dropped the rope on the floor, and you're like, bitch, what are you doing? What do you stand for? What are your principles? And no, I don't want to know if you have others in your back pocket. What the fuck do you stand for, bitch? And this is why I find it hard to take West Streeting seriously. He sits there, he's got a new fucking shirt on or whatever from fucking Top Man. Is Top Man even a thing anymore? I don't know. I don't buy men's clothes. And he's, that they, they got the lights on him. He's got his hair done nice. He's ready to go. He's like, okay, here's my opinion today. And it's like, well, that's funny because... <laughs> Look where you were last week. And I'm sure if we go back, you were somewhere else the week before. You're just saying things to say things. Except the problem is... (laughs) You are saying things that involve people's real lives. This is not a game. It's not a fucking game. And this little boy is walking around looking all fucking smug. Playing with people's lives in the pursuit of power. It's childish, it's pathetic Girl <laughs> Could not be me. So embarrassing. Um <laughs> sad cringe. Speaking of sad cringe <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about Scottish labour. <laughs> Oh, I play too much. I'm so mean to them. Um, listen, I've had my moments where I like Scottish Labour, and also I've had moments where I don't, it is what it is. Um, so the Rutherglen by election is coming up, it's on the horizon. Everybody's in campaign mode, darling. Everybody's in campaign mode. Um it does appear to be pretty much a straight race between the SNP and Scottish Labour. Of course, there are still other parties who are jumping in. They're throwing their names out there. They're in contention. But it does look as if it is going to be basically between the SNP and Scottish Labour. Uh, The trouble with that for Scottish Labour is... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, their candidate... (laughs) He, um... He likes to talk a big game about all the things he's going to do and all the ways he's going to help the people and all the things that he's going to do. They're going to be so fucking different and he's going to stand up um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and be the voice of the people. Except almost everything that he says, the Labour Party is like, no, I don't think you are actually. <laughs> I don't think that's what you're gonna do. <laughs> so he keeps saying, you know, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking, well, he he doesn't swear, but you know, I'm gonna sort out the the rape clause. And then the main Labour Party's like, no, you're not. Because we're not doing that. <laughs> oh, I'm going I'm to sort out... <laughs> I'm going to sort out the bedroom tax. But Labour says, no, you're not, mate. Like, this is the thing. He keeps saying he's going to do things that are in direct opposition to what Labour Party policy actually is. And so once again, just as a reminder, that seems really to need to go out to the actual candidate for Scottish Labour in Rutherglen, you are not a separate party. You don't get to have your own policies. You have to abide by what UK Labour tells you to do. I'm sorry if that is a disturbing thing for you to discover, but it's the truth and you need to stop lying to people and pretending That you are going to magically be able to oppose and stop the things that UK Labour intends to do. Because you can't. You can't. Okay? You can't magically come out and be anti-Brexit. Because your party has decided, well Brexit's happened, it's a done deal, never mind. Let's not talk about it anymore. You cannot... You cannot come out and say, you cannot come out and say, Michael Shanks, that you are going to remove the rape clause. Because guess what? Your party's already said they're not doing it. You cannot come out and say you're going to be pro, you know, free school meals and you're going to sort that out. Because your party's already said they're not doing it. Okay? So stop lying. Stop fucking lying to people and pretending that you are going to magically have all this power and autonomy because you're not they are literally asking you to vote labor to oppose labor policy it's batshit like it's actually it's i mean it's kind of funny but like also really insulting you know what i mean (laughs) Uh, but it, it, it turns out, actually, there are some within Scottish Labour who, who maybe like the look of what's going on somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying anything about defection, but what I am saying is maybe they're having a little look at some grass on the other side, and they're like, hmm, that's an interesting colour. <laughs> so, Humza Yusuf, the First Minister of Scotland and the leader of the SNP, revealed this week that he had had discussions with MSPs from unionist parties, including the Labour Party, and apparently primarily from the Labour Party, who were sympathetic to the cause of independence and interested in talking more. (laughs) He refused to name them, which I think was fucked up. Like, I mean, give me some drama, Hamza. I'm hungry for drama. Do that for me. Just give me some drama. But it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but um it's actually it's not a secret that there are people uh within Scottish Labour who are, you know, indie curious and some are even just straight up for it. And good for them. We love that for them. Um but <laughs> you know, it does appear that there are more who are interested in the idea and looking at it with a bit more seriousness. So that's interesting and we'll see how that develops. Things in the Labour Party, though, are... They're having their ups and downs. They're having their ups and downs. For example, Keir Starmer helped to save a dog. That's an up, right? That's, that, that's an up. That's not a down. That's an up. I'd say that's good. Um, So, <laughs> there was a dog called Chili who unfortunately fell off of a cliff in the Lake District... But was was thankfully, miraculously found, thank God. We loved that for Chile. And Keir Starmer apparently interrupted his holiday to help hand out posters to try and find Chile. And I have to tell you, I actually think that's really nice. That's actually quite a nice, wholesome story. So yeah, okay. Labour gets points for that this week. <laughs> However, I, I don't know if this is an up or a down I I mainly just have questions. Um, So this week it was announced that uh, a man named Keir Cousins has been selected as the Labour candidate for Great Yarmouth. Now it should be noted, they've just had another Keir elected during the by-elections and of course they are led by a Keir. There are so many Keirs in the Labour Party. There are so many, like I understand, you know, Maybe maybe there's just a lot of people who name their kids after Keir Hardy, but I <laughs> I I just I, I don't know, man. Th- there's a lot. It's gonna get confusing if they all end up um, <laughs> if they all ended up as uh, as as MPs. It's gonna get confusing, but um. Uh, <laughs> somebody on twitter uh posted something that really i think put it all into perspective um they said there are now more labour mps called care than there have been women labour leaders i mean they're not wrong are they they're not exactly wrong let's be real (laughs) uh but the government the uk government believes somehow some way they are still going to win the next election um so according to sources the government feels ready to attack labor after the summer as they believe that rishi sunak has made the tories likeable likeable to who exactly <laughs> likeable to who what on us okay besties that's all for this week but i will see you again next week love you bye i had any wet myself then for listening bestie i hope you enjoyed the show and i will see you again next time for a new episode of what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business uh, the, the stuff about me big nonsense the sea was actually closed it was a, a red notice we will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK tax player. It's not in opposition that I want to be in, it's Nicola's desk I want. I want to serve this country <laughs> as first minister <laughs> and its labor values. And <laughs> can and have the debt, just not getting a getting the job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to, hands up I anyway, mean, who's been to Peppa Pig World? In December, I'll be in Beijing, opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously, what the actual fuck? Love you, bye.